Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. Hey everyone, my name is Nikki Young and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. I'm back with another true crime story to lull you to sleep or perhaps to give you nightmares. Money makes people do crazy things, but how many people could possibly be so money hungry that they would kill their own grandfather and mother over a span of several years in order to keep their bank account stocked? That is exactly what it is alleged that Nathan Carmen did. Nathan came from a very wealthy family, and he inherited half a million dollars after his grandfather was murdered, shot to death in his own mansion. There was a suspicion that Nathan could be involved, though no one has ever been charged with the killing. Within a few short years, Nathan spent every penny that he had in his bank account, which is why the following events were incredibly suspicious. Nathan would be involved in a boating accident where his boat sunk with his mother presumably on it, and he was lost at sea for eight days before being rescued. With his mother now presumed deceased in the boating accident, he stood to inherit $7 million. That is, if he could convince a jury that he didn't fake a boating accident and kill her for the money. Nathan would maintain his innocence, denying killing his grandfather or his mother. But he would not have his day in court, because just this past week, Nathan Carmen was found unresponsive in his prison cell, and he was pronounced dead. Will we ever know the truth of what happened, and if Nathan did kill the two people who were closest to him for millions of dollars? Let's jump right in. Right off the bat, I think we need to talk about this family dynasty and the head of it all, John Chakalos. John would become very wealthy, but he was a self-made man. Before building his riches, he served in World War II as a paratrooper, and he was known to volunteer for the most dangerous of missions. When he returned home from the war, he married his high school sweetheart, Rita, and he got his foot in the door of the real estate business. Together, they had four daughters named Elaine, Linda, Shy Jean, and Valerie. Linda would later go on to have a son and the subject of our story tonight, Nathan. But long before any of that happened, 
John Chakalos built his fortune for his family through his real estate business, earning tens of millions of dollars by buying and selling nursing homes, along with other real estate ventures. It's said that he did not squander his money, instead choosing to give to charities and worthy causes over spoiling his children. Still, none of his daughters had to worry about a thing. John always made sure that they were well taken care of. They grew up in a large mansion that sat on 82 acres of property in New Hampshire. They attended the best schools, and they wore the very best clothes. However, sometimes John's money would help him to gain control over his family. If they wanted to continue being supported financially, they had to follow his rules and basically do what he said. This was all fine and dandy until his young daughters became women and they wanted to forge their own way in this world. This was particularly true with John and his daughter, Linda, who would later become Nathan's mother. Linda would marry Clark Carmen, and the couple would go on to have their son, Nathan. The marriage was unstable and would ultimately dissolve when Nathan was just a young child. Though Linda financially had everything that she could possibly want in life, she still struggled with her own issues, which would cause a lot of strain in her marriage. Linda struggled to hold down a job because she was severely depressed. When she did make it out of bed, she would spend whatever money that she had in her bank account on her gambling habit. Her father, John, would try to help by cutting her off financially at various points whenever she would hit rock bottom, but this only caused Linda to struggle even further. When Linda and Clark's marriage ended, Linda would continue to raise their son, Nathan, on her own in Connecticut. Though she continued to have a tumultuous relationship with her father, Nathan's grandfather, John would forge a close bond with his grandson. Linda would sometimes get angry at just how close they were because she felt like he was trying to take over the parenting role and, once again, control her. On top of that, she had her hands full with Nathan. At a very early age, he began to act out, having violent temper tantrums when things did not go his way. There was even an incident when Nathan had held another child at knife point after the two had a disagreement. He would be evaluated by a mental health professional, and he was diagnosed with Asperger's, which is now just known as autism. He was highly intelligent, very book smart, but he struggled with social cues. He didn't really connect with kids his own age. He would often look up to adults to hang out with. Though Linda struggled with her own issues like gambling, that doesn't mean that she was a bad mother. She tried to help Nathan in any way that she knew how, including making a habit to travel with him. It was something that they could enjoy together. They could bond over. As Nathan grew older, the autistic meltdowns did not end. However, Nathan did get bigger. So there were occasions when things became physical and violent between Nathan and his mother. On one occasion, Linda had baked him some cookies, but she accidentally burned them, and it's alleged that Nathan grabbed the tray and threw it at the wall. The situation was so volatile that Nathan had threatened to move out of the home, but Linda wanted him close so that she could keep an eye on the situation, 
So they compromised. They put an RV in Linda's driveway where Nathan could have his own space, but still Linda could make sure that he didn't hurt himself or anyone else. In 2009, he did something really strange and kind of gross, which caught the attention of the entire neighborhood. For Halloween, he decided to hand out tricks instead of treats, giving the kids that came around door-to-door Ziploc bags that were filled with fish guts. And I'm going to say this a few times throughout this episode, this type of behavior cannot be attributed to his autism. He was just an asshole. As a teenager, Nathan would be described by his schoolmates as a loner who could be somewhat aggressive and off-putting. Again, with the autism, he struggled with social cues, and this would often lead to angry outbursts when he felt like his knowledge was being challenged, particularly when talking about a topic that he was really passionate about, like history and guns. Things really came to a head in 2011 when just before Christmas, his horse, a beautiful white horse named Cruz, had died. This horse had been a gift from his grandfather, and it was more like his best friend. While Nathan struggled to make connections with other teenagers his own age, he bonded with animals, and in particular, his horse, Cruz. Nathan had a complete break from reality after this death. He began to experience paranoid delusions and psychotic episodes. At his school, he had a blow-up with administration, calling the vice principal Satan and his secretary an agent of the devil. Now, again, I want to note here because it's really important. What Nathan was experiencing at that time was not a symptom of autism, but something completely different altogether. Nathan had to be committed to a mental health facility. While there, he absolutely refused to see or speak to his mother, Linda, instead choosing only to communicate with his grandfather and his grandmother. As you can imagine, this made the situation even more tense between Linda because she felt like her father, John, was trying to once again control the situation. There would be a huge family blow-up between Linda and her dad, John, which at first started out about Nathan, but then turned to finances. Allegedly, John was threatening to cut Linda off financially for good, and then the situation turned physical. There were allegations of pushing, punching, scratching, one witness even saying that Linda had grabbed her father by the balls. It would have been quite a fight to see, but apparently not an uncommon thing in this family. But again, Linda didn't really have a leg to stand on. Her gambling addiction had gotten so out of hand that she completely drained a trust fund account that her father, John, had set up for Nathan. This made things really tense between her and her father, as well as her and her son. When Nathan was released from this mental health facility, Things went from bad to worse. He returned to living in that RV in his mother's driveway, still refusing to communicate with her. Nathan would bunker down by himself for the most part, and Linda was worried, so she called social services, who did a well-being check. Nathan did not take this well, and he basically just took off. He ran off. He ran away. He literally got up early that morning, he threw some things in his backpack, including his fishing rod, and then he took off on his bike over to the bus station, and he was out of there. 
Linda would file a missing persons report that evening when Nathan still had not returned home that night. There would be missing persons posters plastered everywhere with Nathan's face and a massive search by police, but unfortunately there was no sign of Nathan. Nobody had any idea where he had ran off to. The next day, Linda found a letter from Nathan that basically said he was running away and it was everyone else's fault. The only person that he wasn't angry with was his grandfather, John. I love to travel. From the bustling city of Tokyo to the beaches of Thailand, there's nothing I enjoy more than getting the chance to see the world and experience different cultures firsthand. But the language barrier, it can be an issue. Sure, you can use an app on your phone, but things often get lost in translation. I truly believe that learning at least some of the language of the land that you're visiting is the first step to ensuring a smooth and meaningful experience. That's why I'm excited about Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language that you want to learn. Rosetta Stone has been the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Japanese, Spanish, German, Korean, Italian, and more. Learning a new language can be tough especially with all of the different nuances. But Rosetta Stone is designed to help you speak like a local, so you'll feel confident in what you're saying. I don't know how many times I've been traveling to a new country and struggled to get my point across just because I wasn't properly pronouncing something that I thought I knew, which is why I love Rosetta Stone's built-in true accent feature, which helps you master your accent. They also have convenient desktop and app options so you can learn on the go. Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership includes all 25 languages. So once you're finished learning one language, you can start on another. Whether you're an avid traveler like me or just want to impress your friends with a new skill, it's a steal of a deal at 50% off. That's right. 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then... Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Five days after leaving home, investigators would find Nathan in Florida, loitering outside of a convenience store. He appeared to be doing absolutely fine. He was driving around the state on a moped that he had purchased, and he had a little over $4,000 in cash in his wallet, along with a few photos of himself and, of course, his white horse, Cruz, as well as a snippet of Cruz's hair. He was promptly returned to home, where he once again bunkered down in that RV, never speaking to anyone or ever really leaving the confines of the camper. Reading about Nathan's situation reminded me a lot of the last story that I covered, the story of Brandon Hole. Two young men with serious mental health issues from a very young age, and then a mother who is just trying to get them help before time runs out. That's why when he turned 18 years old, Nathan was sent to a behavioral correction camp. There's a lot of controversy surrounding the effectiveness or the morality of these kinds of camps. There was much less known about autism back then than there is today. So Linda probably thought that she was doing something right, something that was going to help her son. We now know that these camps for neurodivergent kids are not at all effective and can be quite traumatic. Whatever happened to Nathan there, we don't know. However, when he returned home, he did seem to be doing much better. He decided to move out of that RV and into a place with his cousin, and he enrolled in university. His grandfather, John, was so proud of him that he offered to let Nathan move into one of his mansions. John literally had an abundance of mansions, and one that he used only on weekends, so he just wanted to reward Nathan for all of his good behavior. But this was not to be. Nathan would never get to move in there. Rita, who was Nathan's grandmother and the love of John's life, would pass away from cancer. According to several family members, this would send John into a deep depression, though this is debatable. Rita certainly wasn't the only woman in John's life. He was a wealthy, elderly man, and he could afford to have a young, beautiful mistress in his life. I'll leave it at that. About a month after Rita had died, John would be found at home in his bed, shot three times in the head and the back. It did not appear to be a break-in because nothing was missing. His daughter Elaine would be the unfortunate one to find him. Whoever had shot John had taken the bullet casings with them, so this was clearly not a suicide. It was discovered that Nathan had been the last person to see his grandfather alive just the night prior. They had dinner together. However, when investigators interviewed Nathan to find out where he went once dinner was over, Nathan couldn't really tell them. His story changed several times, and it was full of inconsistencies, particularly during the hours that police believed John had been killed, which was between 10 p.m. on December 19th to 8 a.m. the following morning on December 20th, 2013. 
Nathan tried to say that he was up early that morning to meet up with his mother, Linda. They were going to be going on a fishing trip together. They were supposed to meet at a meeting spot at 3 a.m. According to Linda, Nathan never showed up. And when she called him on his cell phone, he never answered the phone. So Linda decided to head home. She then heard from Nathan about an hour later when he said that he was once again waiting for her at that meeting spot. So Linda went back to meet up with her son, Nathan, and they spent the morning fishing together. There was about an hour of time between 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. when Nathan could not account for his whereabouts. Investigators suspected that it was at this time he had killed his grandfather, but they could not prove it. The motive? Nathan would inherit half a million dollars from his grandfather with his mother and three aunts receiving the rest. We're talking about tens of millions of dollars. It was determined that John had been shot with a .308 caliber gun, the same kind of weapon that Nathan had purchased recently from a gun shop in New Hampshire. Nathan claimed that this gun had been lost or stolen, and he had no idea where it was. He refused to answer any more questions about the weapon, and he refused to take a polygraph test. He was definitely a person of interest in the eyes of the investigators, but they didn't have enough evidence to name him as a suspect or to charge him with anything at that point. And there were other suspects, including a much younger mistress who was said to be a gold digger. A $250,000 reward for any information leading to an arrest in John's death was offered, but other than that, basically, the case went cold. That didn't mean investigators stopped trying, though. In 2014, about a year after John had been murdered, investigators enacted a search warrant on Nathan's apartment. They seized a tactical shotgun, a pellet gun with more than 100 shotgun shells, a rifle scope, a State of Connecticut ammunition certificate, and a notebook with a bunch of bizarre drawings and writings that were heavily focused on how to make a self-propelled improvised explosive device, amongst other things. Though they didn't find anything specific to connect Nathan to his grandfather's murder, what they did find was enough to convince a jury that he posed a risk to himself and possibly to others. This judge ordered all of Nathan's guns and bullets to be confiscated for a year. And that was really all that could be done. The suspicion held by investigators and some of the family was that Nathan likely had killed his grandfather. That missing gun that matched ballistics, the unaccounted time he was missing, the small inheritance that he received, all supported this theory. But many people questioned why Nathan would kill the one person that he was closest to. His grandfather had always supported him. He was the one person that Nathan always kept in contact with, no matter what was going on in his life. Would the half a million dollar inheritance really be worth it? A few years passed, and then in December of 2015, Nathan bought a fishing boat that he called the Chicken Pox. He definitely was not the most experienced fisherman or the best captain of a boat, but you would never know that when speaking to him. He appeared confident in his capabilities, but he had very little skill to actually back that up. 
He would constantly tinker with the boat, modifying it as he saw fit, without really thinking of the repercussions. If he felt like something was unnecessary, he'd basically just get rid of it. I don't think that Linda really knew the full extent of it when she agreed to go on a fishing trip with Nathan on his new boat. It was September 2006, and the plan was to go out with Nathan on the boat for one night. They would be fishing near Block Island, and they were set to return to shore early the next morning. According to statements that would later be given by Nathan, he and his mother fished for about an hour around Block Island. Then in the early morning hours, they headed towards Block Canyon, which as the name suggests, it's known for its underwater canyons. This spot is not for the faint of heart. Even more experienced sailors can find themselves in trouble here. They would say she would never agree to go boating with Nathan around Block Canyon. She knew he did not have the experience for it, and she knew the dangers. But again, according to Nathan, he said that the weather was fine and the water was calm, so they spent the next five or so hours fishing for tuna around Block Canyon until Nathan heard a bang and then saw water beginning to fill the boat. He claimed he yelled to his mother that they would have to abandon ship, and then he began to collect food and water for the lifeboat. He did not send out a distress signal. Instead, he threw the raft over the side of the boat, which would have inflated instantly. Then he tossed over some food and water into the raft, and then he jumped in. He claimed as he shouted for his mother to follow him into the raft, she was nowhere to be found. And then the boat quickly sank, all in a matter of under five minutes. When Linda and Nathan didn't return to shore by the next morning, a massive search rescue effort was launched. Again, Nathan had not sent out a distress signal when the boat began to sink, so the search and rescue team had to focus their efforts based upon the information that they knew about the trip, which was all from Linda's friends. The search for the mother and son would last for five long days before finally being called off because it was believed that nobody could survive being out at sea for so long. And then, three days later, Eight days after Nathan's boat, the chickenpox, had initially sank, a life raft was discovered. Nathan was found by a Chinese commercial ship called the Orient Lucky, floating in a raft about 35 miles away from where his boat had initially gone under. He appeared to be in incredible health, having the food and water and other emergency supplies with him that he had tossed onto that raft. Sadly, Nathan was alone. Linda, his mother, was nowhere to be found and had presumably gone down with the ship. When I saw the life raft, I did not see my mom. Uh, have you found her? Uh, no, we, uh, we haven't been able to find her yet. Right off the bat, things were not adding up with Nathan's story. For one thing, his raft was found floating east of the area that his boat sank, But with the current, the way that the tide was going, he should have been found west of that area. The search teams had also just spent the last five days searching all around the area, and they did not see Nathan, they didn't see a raft, they found nothing. Which is odd if he was actually there the whole time, it just doesn't make any sense. 
Nathan was also found in amazing condition for having just spent the last eight days lost at sea. Sure, he had food supplies and some water, but he was still left out in the elements with very little sustenance for over a week. To a lot of people, he looked completely unscathed. Nathan's interviews with the media also came off as very cold and emotionless, considering his mother had just drowned on their fishing trip. But this part can be attributed to his autism and is not necessarily a sign of how he was feeling in the moment. There was a lot of talk, a lot of rumors, but nothing concrete. That is until Nathan made a huge mistake that would ultimately lead to his downfall. When Nathan's grandfather was killed, Nathan only inherited about a half a million dollars. I mean, that's not chump change, but to Nathan, it probably was. Now that his mother, who had inherited much more money from John's death, had also died, Nathan stood to inherit about $7 million. That is a lot of money. Still, he decided to file an $85,000 insurance claim for his sunken boat. Insurance companies don't just hand over large amounts of money like that. They're in the business of making money, not paying it out. So they launched their own investigation into the reason why that boat sank. And what they found was shocking. Shortly before Nathan and his mother Linda went on their fishing trip, Nathan was seen by several people making big modifications to the boat. He removed two foot-long paddles that were located on the back of the boat, typically used to assist with keeping it upright as it maneuvers through the water. He also removed the trim tabs, which left big holes near the waterline. I'm not a boating expert by any means, but that sounds like a bad thing. But don't worry, Nathan, he filled them with putty. Basically, the chicken pox was unseaworthy. Nathan should have never taken his mother out fishing that day with his boat being in such poor condition. This civil trial between Nathan and his insurance company would go through the courts for three years before a judge finally ruled that Nathan's actions contributed to the sinking of the boat. Therefore, his insurance company didn't need to pay out a cent on that $85,000 policy. This isn't about money. Um, It's... An $85,000 claim, uh, it's a contingency fee. I get a fraction of that if I win. I've put lots of time, effort, and frankly, a lot of misery into this. I almost feel like I have a responsibility to my mom to make sure that the truth comes out. And Mr. Farrell and the insurers, Boat US, Berkshire Hathaway, uh, National Fire and Liability, have made claims against me that are so tremendous, I don't feel like I can walk away from them. With all of this surprising information being revealed in court over the last few years, people began to look at Nathan differently, especially his family. Now it was looking more like he may have had a hand in his grandfather's death for that inheritance money, and then his own mother for an even bigger inheritance. In 2017, his three aunts would sue him to try to prevent him from collecting on that multi-million dollar inheritance, the one that stemmed from his grandfather, John. Since there wasn't enough evidence to move forward with a criminal trial and charges, they sued him civilly, claiming that he was responsible for John's death. The degree to which you need to prove your case in court 
is much lower in a civil trial. Here's the full statement from Nathan's aunt via their attorney. It says, quote, In 2013, four sisters suffered an unthinkable tragedy when their father, John Chakalos, was murdered in his own home. Less than three years later, one of those sisters, Linda Carmen, disappeared at sea under highly suspicious circumstances. The last person to see both of these family members alive was Nathan Carmen, John's grandson and Linda's son. The details and evidence in the death of John and the disappearance of Linda all point to Nathan as the prime suspect, yet he now stands to inherit millions of dollars from their estates. The surviving sisters cannot stand idle while their father's killer, and perhaps their sister's killer also, profits from his actions. Since the law has a provision to stop this unjust inheritance, they have filed a so-called slayer action in New Hampshire State Court to block Nathan from collecting money from his murdered grandfather's estate. This is not about money, it is about justice. The judge ultimately ruled in Nathan's favor and dismissed the case, but Nathan had already spent the majority of whatever his grandfather had left for him anyway. He bought a house in Vermont, and then he spent even more money completely renovating this house. This is where he stayed for the vast majority of the time, all alone, completely recluse from the rest of the world. That is until May of 2022, when Nathan Carmen was indicted with killing his mother at sea in order to receive a large inheritance. He was also charged with multiple counts of fraud, and it was alleged that he killed his grandfather, John Chakalos, for the very same reason, though he was not going to be charged with that death. Nathan Carmen was sitting in prison, waiting to go to trial for the murder of his mother up until just this month. Nathan was found deceased in his cell, and the cause of death is not considered to be suspicious, so it's assumed that he took his own life. He left a note behind for his attorneys, but as of recording, it has not been released. It should be noted that Nathan claimed his innocence the entire time, and his defense attorney said, quote, We truly believed that after the review of all evidence, that Nathan would have been acquitted, and he was never in bad spirits, he was very upbeat. As a result of Nathan's death, the charges against him have been dismissed. And so I pass the question over to you. Do you believe that Nathan would murder both his grandfather, who he was very close with, and his own mother just for the inheritance money? Or do you think that there is maybe enough doubt that Nathan really was innocent, that someone else had murdered his grandfather, and that the boating accident was just that, an accident. Let me know what you think. That's it for me tonight. If you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also search for me on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check me out on Twitter at Serial underscore Napper, or I post things on TikTok, Serial Napper Nick, and that's all one word. If you're watching on YouTube, I'd love if you can give me a thumbs up and subscribe. And if you're not watching on YouTube, I post all of my podcast episodes in video format over there. Until next time, sweet dreams, stay kind, especially in the comments. Bye.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.